Welcome to our latest look at politics in this edition of Inside the Post-Dispatch. Today we're looking at three hot races, the 2nd Congressional District in suburban St. Louis, the Missouri Governor's Race, and Amendment 3, a statewide ballot measure on redistricting. I'm Roland Close, one of the editors on the Metro Desk. Joining me are Nassim Benjamin, who this year has covered congressional races, among other stories, and Jefferson City reporters Kurt Erickson and Jack Suntrup, who cover state government and politics. First, let's talk about the second congressional district race. Nassim, tell us a little bit about the district and why this district race is getting a lot of national attention. Yeah, so in the second congressional district, you have a uh, four-term incumbent, uh, Representative Ann Wagner, Republican from Baldwin, uh, facing a challenge from State Senator Jill Shoup, uh, a Democrat from Grief Corps. Uh, it's a suburban district, um, which makes it kind of a, a political battlefield uh, nationally for Democrats and Republicans. These are the type of districts where they're constantly trying to uh, sway voters uh, to their side, unlike kind of urban or rural districts where you've got deeply entrenched uh, partisan favors toward Democrats or Republicans. These are districts that often shift um, in both presidential elections and in midterms. Um, so here uh, you've got Wagner who in 2018 faced a challenge from a relative newcomer, uh, attorney Cord Van Ostrin. He had never uh, run for office before, held office, but he actually, uh, with an upstart campaign, uh, brought Wagner to a four-point uh, win. Previously, she had won all three elections by more than 20 points. So Democrats see this as a, a vulnerable district now, and they're, they've launched a, a heated bid to flip it. Uh, for the past three decades, it's been pretty staunchly Republican. As I said, Wagner won uh, by more than 20 points uh, in those three previous elections. Uh, Trump carried the district in 2016 by 10 points. Uh, it's a Republican district of sort of the country club type, if I could use that phrase. It's relatively affluent. It's relatively educated. Um, you know, you could look at Wagner and, and, and see that, uh, you know, it she typifies a district and that they're much more concerned about kind of business-friendly policies rather than some of the uh, cultural issues that might be trending and in debates or, or in the news. Uh, so with, those, with that kind of focus in mind, she's been able to carry the district for a long time, but now Democrats are trying to seize advantage on declining support for Trump, uh, as well as increasing support for some of the provisions of the Affordable Care Act, particularly protecting pre-existing conditions. That was something that Van Ostrin centered his campaign on in 2018. And it was something that Democrats uh, in 2018 retook the House on uh, in many similar suburban districts. So they're trying to seize on that again. Uh, Jill Shoup has made that a focus of her campaign uh, as, and she's also uh, tried to hammer Wagner on uh, kind of declining support for Trump amid uh, especially the um, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, you've got a lot of national groups weighing in on the race. Uh, for example, uh, Emily's uh, list, uh, a pro-choice or a pro-abortion group yesterday announced that they were gonna spend uh, 835,000 in ads on Wagner uh, in these next few weeks. Uh, the Democratic, uh, sorry, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Caucus uh, has also spent a lot of money in ads here and in um, 
similar races in the Metro East. Uh, they put this district on their red to blue list pretty early on. Uh, and then you've also got conservative PACs like Heartland Resurgence, which is headed by a former top aide to Senator Roy Blunt. They've also put ads here. So there's a lot of focus on this district um, and it's in a pretty heated race. It's Missouri's lone swing district. Uh, if you look at the other congressional districts, uh, they're drawn to be pretty staunchly Democratic or uh, Republican. Um, this is considered one of the only districts that could flip. Uh, whether it will... Uh -huh. Talk, talk to me about specifically the, the, the ads that we're seeing. Uh, we, we, we've seen mm -hmm. ads from the Wagner camp or the PACs that are supporting her that describe Shu as uh, uh, soft on crime and tying her to sexual predators. Uh, and we've also seen ads on Wagner talking about how she's uh, gotten rich in office and used a, a corporate jets to travel. I mean, it's pretty heated, which is not unusual for a highly contested race, but tell me what are the defining issues as far as voters are concerned? I mean, what do you see as the ones that are resonating? Yeah, when you talk about the issues resonating with voters, uh, you, you have to first talk about the, uh, one of the key voting blocks in the district, which is suburban women. Uh, they, I, we saw evidence in 2018 that they, among suburban women particularly, uh, support for Trump and Republicans under his administration had declined. Uh, and so that's a key voting block here in this district, and a key issue for them traditionally has been health care, uh, and that's something that Democrats have made a top issue again this year with the Affordable Care Act, uh, considered uh, to be on the chopping block with a lawsuit uh, before the Supreme Court by Republican attorneys general. That's coming up here soon. The, the court will hear that case to invalidate the law. And so health care is a key focus, um, but then you've also got Republicans, uh, you know, to your point about some of the advertisements um, maybe painting Shoup as a, as a radical or far left wing. Uh, they've actually uh, used footage of Biden, for example, um, criticizing a uh, left wing proposal on health care, Medicare for all. Uh, and that could be seen as uh, Republicans kind of responding to uh, this, this factor where you have uh, Biden being seen as more favorable here in Missouri than, uh, than Clinton was in 2016. And so Republicans have kind of camped in that line, have uh, returned to uh, focus on kind of uh, traditional Republican campaigning points, law and order being, um, being the, the key there. Uh, the first ad that you mentioned uh, Wagner had run uh, actually accused Shoup of, uh, quote, uh, siding with criminals, unquote. It was uh, something that uh, the Shoup campaign has taken um, significant uh, complaint with. Uh, it was rated as being... Um, mostly false by the nonpartisan PolitiFact. It kind of took a handful of votes. And then you've got another advertisement that uh, the Wagner campaign run, very similar to an ad by Governor Parson, which uh, included uh, St. Louis County police officers talking about uh, how Republicans are uh, backing law enforcement and are tough on crime and painting Democrats as being weak on crime. It used footage from um, civil unrest in, in other cities and other states amid some of the protests we've seen uh, for police reform. Um, so Republicans have really, you could argue that Republicans have really taken on law and order as kind of their uh, top issue. But recently, we've also seen Wagner run ads uh, where she talks to a constituent in a business that, um, that she's helped or that, that you know, her campaign says that she's helped in, in recent weeks amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think um, you know, as news develops, uh, you know, after the president himself was diagnosed with COVID-19, 
the pandemic and its kind of trickle effects on the economy uh, and healthcare are more and more coming to the forefront for voters. Let me, let me uh, build on that and ask Jack and Kurt to weigh in because this issue, law and order, crime, the pandemic, and President Trump seem to work their way into the governor's race as well. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how those uh, issues have, uh, have, have helped shape our understanding of the governor's race. Kurt or Jack? Uh, hey, um, so this is Kurt. Um, what, uh, this, this started back in the summer months, um, during the pandemic, uh, Governor Parson suddenly realized that he's not going to be able to run on the economy, much like President Trump. And, uh, in search of an issue to pivot to, um, like Trump, he pivoted to crime and it, you know, it's not, um, it was not an unobvious thing to do because of the uh, number of homicides taking place in St. Louis. But the, um, the proposals that he floated for the uh, legislature to uh, act on in a special session um, did not really directly address um, some of the problems with, with crime. But as a former, um, as a former sheriff, uh, you know, it, it kind of was a natural fit that he'd be in that law and order category. Um, so I don't know, Jack, do you have anything to add? I would just say that the, the, the his campaign apparatus, the Uniting Missouri PAC, has um, launched some, some attacks against Galloway um, with like images of burning cop cars and um, rioting and, and basically saying that she's pro-crime. Um, obviously, she doesn't agree with that. Um, and then they've also used uh, black politicians um, to say that to tying tying Nicole to to black politicians um, who who support defunding the police um, as a way to. Uh, to, to promote that idea that, that she's, that she's pro-crime and uh, well, anti-police. What, what is Galloway's stance? What, what, what positions has she taken on law enforcement, crime, policing? Um, what in her record suggests that uh, she supported some of the things that the Parson campaign and their supporters have asserted? Well, it's more, they're more saying that her supporters support defunding the police and therefore she does. So it's, it's, it's more a reflection of what her supporters are saying and less a reflection of what she said. Okay. Um, let me ask you a broader question. Um, in both the second congressional district and the governor's race, um, how much is uh, the, how much are the incumbents association with the president uh, 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 a help, helpful in Missouri or how much is it a liability now? Is there any way of gauging based on polls or because I know that the governor Parson has not really put any daylight between him and the Trump administration. Uh, he's been pretty close to the president or, or supportive. I'm not sure if that's true for Wagner too, but could you, 
tell me your thoughts on um, that or what you've seen. Yeah. I, I would say last year um, he, he was tying himself very closely to the president. Um, you remember Trump won Missouri by 19 percentage points in 2016. Um, but this year, you know, during the, the COVID outbreak, the, the pandemic, um, I really haven't seen much of an emphasis, much of an effort to tie himself to Trump. And, and corresponding with that, you know, there's polls out that, that show a really tight race in Missouri between Biden and Trump um, uh, within the single digits. So, so Trump's standing, at least according to the polls that are out there, has diminished somewhat in Missouri. And like Nassim said, Biden seems to be more popular than Clinton was in 2016. So no one's really expecting Trump to win Missouri by 20 points again. And in the second district, you have to consider that the district is much more, it's drawn Republican, but it's still somewhat politically mixed. Uh, for example, in 2012, the year that Wagner won, um, you know, McCaskill won the district then, and then um, uh, Jason Kander, a former candidate for Senate, narrowly lost it against uh, Blunt. Um, and, and so Trump won the district in 2016, but his approval rating has, uh, you know, dropped significantly since then. Uh, Wagner herself, I think, publicly has been, uh, has somewhat avoided um, tying herself as closely to the Trump administration. Um, you know, in 2016, she was a, a Jeb Bush supporter. She then endorsed Trump after he won the nomination. She withdrew it after the uh, Access Hollywood tape came out, um, only then to, to reverse course shortly before the election, encourage people to vote for him. I asked her recently uh, about Trump and if she uh, was endorsing him again this year. She said that she is, but uh, her focus really uh, when it comes to Trump administration is, has been uh, on supporting uh, policies pushed by the Trump administration. She said that she has her disagreements with him on his rhetoric and, and on his tone or his demeanor, uh, but she was very staunchly in support of policies that, that he's pushed. And, and Jack and Kurt, when, when, when Galloway and uh, Parson debate, in Columbia, right, on Friday. Yeah. What, what, what do you expect to learn, if anything, about the two candidates? What do you expect? What issues do you think will emerge? What should we watch for? I'm not sure that the, the issues will be as important as the presentation um, uh, for, for voters, um, you know, how, how each of them come off. Uh, Parson, um, you know, comes off as a rural former sheriff. And... Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how, how Galloway is going to come up. This, she's, uh, you know, not well known by a lot of uh, people in the state. So um, it'll be, uh, you know, the, a lot of imagery, I believe. Um, and, and they are far apart on issues. Um, uh, and I expect Parson to, to hammer that home. Uh, trying to paint her as a quote, you know, socialist or liberal, or and, and at this in the same uh, tone, you know, she's going to focus on healthcare um, and the pandemic and his response to the pandemic, which has been somewhat tepid. So that's where I see it going. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be kind of an introduction to both candidates because, um, like Kurt said, I. 
Nicole Galloway hasn't it isn't as well known as as some past Democrats to run for governor, um, and and Parson wasn't elected to his current job, so he's never uh, been in a in a high profile race like this before. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see um, how both of them present themselves and, and which lines of attack they choose. Okay, before we move to the uh, the last. Uh Last uh, issue, the Amendment 3, let's take a short break uh, to hear from our sponsor. And we're back. Uh, on the statewide ballot, we have Amendment 3, which looks like, uh, at first blush, it looks like some kind of a good government Benign reform uh, addresses lobbying and gifts, and uh, and also about, it has a third section that talks about redistricting. Um, but apparently, it's uh, more than uh, it seems. Could you guys, uh, Kurt and Jack, Kurt or Jack, could you tell us a little bit about the history of Amendment Three and what it would do and why it's significant? To understand Amendment Three, you got to go back to 2018. Uh, when 62% of the voters in Missouri approved something called Clean Missouri. Um, uh, on the, that was on the ballot uh, that year. And along with those ethics changes, the real key piece of that is uh, a change in the way we redraw the political maps after every census to account for uh, changes in population. So, you know, each each legislative district, uh, the House and the Senate, needs to be of, of uh, equal size. Um, and so they carve out these districts based on, uh, based on certain factors like population and, and communities of interest and competitiveness. Um, so anyway, uh, the 2018 changed that and basically uh, an analysis by the Associated Press said that it likely would help uh, elect more Democrats to the uh, legislature. So Amendment 3 is the Republican response to that, which would roll back basically the, uh, um, the, the changes in how we redraw the, uh, the maps and uh, you know, make it probably more friendly to uh, the Republicans who control uh, the House and the Senate right now. So, but it, one of the, uh, really interesting things that they did was uh, it would um, only count in order to make the maps, it would only count adults. So communities with a lot of kids uh, are going to have different, um, you know, they're going to have less political influence than places with an older population base that would affect places like uh, Wentzville, uh, which is a growing community in O'Fallon, which is a lot of kids live in O'Fallon. So it's a, uh, it, basically an attempt to give the rural areas, which are red, more uh, influence in the legislature. Yeah, but once it also might not count immigrants. I, it also might count only citizens. Um, that'll probably be determined by a court eventually. Um, who counts uh, whether whether immigrants 
whether everyone counts or whether just citizens count. And Missouri would be the first state in the country that wouldn't count everyone um, in in map making, which would be which would be a, a new system for everyone in the country. So, so yeah. your your understanding uh, or critics uh, uh, the way they've characterized Amendment Three is if it passes, it would shift more power to rural areas of the state. That would be that would be one of the outcomes. Yeah, that's the implication. It would take take some of the political influence away from the suburbs of you know St. Louis and the city, for that matter, because there are just more more kids in those areas. It's also going to be a more political process too, because as as the under the current rules that were passed in twenty eighteen. Um, the, the nonpartisan demographer draws the maps and the nonpartisan demographer, you might, you might hear um, some people say that the auditor chooses the demographer. That's not exactly true. The auditor presents a list of names to the Senate, the top Senate Republican and the top Senate Democrat who then choose the demographer. So, so this demographer would be drawing maps with limited political influence and then this new process would, would shift it to a bipartisan commission chosen by the governor. And, and this bipartisan commission would be full of, of political appointees um, uh, from the parties who would, who would basically carve up the maps. Um, the, the opponents of the measure on the ballot this year say that this would help incumbents protect their seats um, during the next round of redistricting. If uh, Galloway were to be elected governor, would she be appointing this bipartisan commission? Yes. Would it make a difference who the governor was, given that the uh, the parties would select the members or nominate the members? I'm I'm just trying to be clear. It doesn't matter whether it's Galloway or Parson who's making the selections on the bipartisan redistricting commission that's proposed or do we know i mean essentially the parties would be choosing who serves on the commission you know, so, what, what, so okay. both parties would have okay it, one, one of the things that struck me is interesting and as you pointed out earlier um uh donald trump handily won the state in 2016 um uh uh, Secretary of State Clinton was clearly not popular in Missouri, but you know he got I think 56 percent of the vote um, at that time, a healthy majority. But when you look at the legislature today, when you look at the House and the Senate, I think 70 percent, give or take, 70 percent of the members of the State House are Republicans which seems to suggest that the way the districts have been configured, you know, have given one party an advantage. Am I, am I seeing that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's right. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily because the maps are um, gerrymandered per se, the way the maps were drawn in 2012 um, 
you had a lot of Democrat districts out in places like Jefferson County that has had historically voted Democrat, but but those those districts no longer exist. So so some districts that were drawn to favor Democrats are are represented by Republicans now just because of the the political shift in Missouri where where rural areas are are now solidly Republican and the new battleground is really in the suburbs um, where where Democrats are trying to flip these historically Republican seats. So what we're seeing in some of the Senate, state Senate races like uh, what Andrew Koenig and Deb Lavender is sort of a mini version of what we're seeing on the congressional level with Wagner and Shoup, where there's a real fight right now over the burbs. And that oh yeah yeah absolutely the uh, uh, it's really going to be some kind of I think reaction to uh, to Donald Trump uh, you know was uh, was his win in 2016 you know our people our voters now who voted for Trump in those areas saying whoa wait a minute this has been uh, you know a very unstable time or we're tired of his antics and we're coming back home. Hmm. Well, Trump is clearly going to be a factor in, in, in all sorts of races, uh, down ticket. Um, anything else you guys want to add before we call it a uh, call it quits for the day? Oh, I think, uh, just to remind people to read St. Louis, uh, post dispatch STL today. Of course, that's the most important headline. <laughs> Thank you, Kurt. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Nassim. Uh, enjoy talking to you guys. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Ron. Thanks.